0: not to ignore the Quran Sunnah and to look to other sources to try to find some of the questions about life, to try to find some of the questions, to try to find the answers to some of the questions about life and behavior when these things have been stated clearly and concisely in the Quran Sunnah, There's no excuse for this. What the Quran says is true, what the Sunnah says is true, and there's no reason, there's no call for us as Muslims to disregard to ignore or play down what the Kodama Sunnah is saying and to take what other people might be saying and consider it the truth uh, and therefore disregard or go against what the Kodama Sunnah is saying Now unfortunately, although that's the case and I think everyone would agree that that's the case that we don't need to go outside the Kodama Sunnah to know what to believe and to know what to follow. Unfortunately, historically, Muslims have not always kept to that principle. Historically, there have been some Muslim groups throughout the history of Islam who have allowed themselves to be influenced by foreign sources, who have allowed themselves to be influenced by foreign thoughts and foreign philosophy that goes against the Quran and Sunnah. you'll find it many times throughout the history one of the earliest examples comes from the time of the Abbasid Khalifa, Al-Mamur (coughs) Al-Mamur, this uh, ruler he asked the leaders of the Roman or or Byzantine Empire to send him the books of philosophy and he brought those books of philosophy to the Muslim world and he had them translated into Arabic and he opened up a place called Dar Hekmah, a place which was open for anyone to come and just to discuss things representatives of Eastern philosophies came, representatives of Western philosophies Jews, Christians, Muslims people came together just to discuss Now, if it's a matter of just discussing with someone else and trying to show him the correctness of his son and, it, and the wrong of what he believes, that's wrong thing. But if we talk about it, and some people talk about it nowadays, it's like a kind of dialogue, for example, between Jews and Christians. If we talk about coming together to learn from them, to learn from them thinking that there's something that we're missing in the Quran, that they might be able to help us and give some guidance, that's wrong. But this is what happens. People begin to sit with Roman uh, or Greek, uh, I mean, uh, philosophers, trained in Greek and Roman philosophy, and begin to think that maybe that philosophy, that way of thinking, is better than the way of thinking that is found Islam the They actually developed through time people who call themselves, and unfortunately, are nowadays called Muslim philosophers some of them didn't believe in the Qur'an and Sunnah whatsoever. Yes, if you could pick up a book about Muslim philosophy, most likely there will be talking about those people. People like Al-Qurabi, Al-Razi, the Mishina. Al-Razi, for example, is that the only thing that we can believe in as real truth, are rational truths. In other words, things that we can think about in our minds, and prove that they are true. For example, one and one equals two this is a rational proof These things he said are definitive the knowledge These are the only things that are definitive knowledge But the palm they even took them not only to think that we can prove in this world but even with respect to God they started talking about God and those things that they could prove they accepted as true and those things that they could not rationally prove they say those things are true and even al-Razi himself he said <coughs> to me, he said that the Quran the Quran could not be considered a proof in matters of the or belief because it doesn't have the, the level of certainty that these rational proofs have we only accept rational proofs Now, where did he get that idea he got that idea from the influence of foreign philosophy to spread into of the Muslim world at that time In fact, this uh, this kind of thinking or these these uh, influences led to the development of different groups within the Muslim world. Some of them, it's clear that teachings actually are outside the realm of Islam, although I should not have spoke of the You had philosophers. You had uh, what we could call in English uh, speculative theologians or al-Ghilam. And among them also you had a group known as the yuatazila One common thing among many of these people, not all of them but one common thing about many of these people is the belief that Al-Akhir or what we come up with our human mind what we believe through human thinking is correct takes precedence over what the Quran and what the Sunnah is that's one of the basic points that if we see something, for example, in this world and unfortunately with respect to them it wasn't usually related to physical matters most people was related to philosophical and theological matters if they could prove, for example, that Allah doesn't have any size or any attributes because that would mean more than one Allah which is what some of them argue if we could argue that from a human uh, thinking point of view, if we agree that yes, if Allah has more than one attribute, that means there's more than one Allah or one God, then that means we must deny what the Quran says, that the Quran is wrong on that or it doesn't mean what it says. That's the way they oppose the Quran and the Hadith, the Is That what their rational thinking led them to believe is correct, and so therefore the Quran or Sunnah contradict anything that they come to conclude from their actual thinking, <coughs> then they either neglected the Quran or they would try to make some interpretation of the Quran which is consistent with their way of thinking. Now again, I must stress the fact that they were not just talking about physical things in the world, but they were talking about philosophy and theology, things that the human mind cannot prove whatsoever, because they are talking about matters that are beyond the realm of the human mind. You cannot make an analogy between God, for example, and human beings or things of this world. To say, well, if, if things of this world are something great that the two ends, or the two beings, then that also must be true for, for, for God. You cannot do that. We cannot judge God on our standards. But that's what these people did. And this was mostly and one of the, one of the starting points behind it was the influence of Western, or of, of foreign thoughts on this issue This group, known as the Mu'addin and the other groups of philosophers, the Mu'addin they've been existing, you can almost say. They never really died. Every once in a while you find one or two people bringing up their ideas again and so on. But if we want to, really understand the development and some of the beginning principles of the modernist school in Islam, we not only look at that history which is somewhat related to the modernist school, but also we can see the development of modernism among the Christians and Jews in Europe. Now you see, the situation of the Christians and the Jews in Europe is completely different from the situation of Muslims. What they have is their spiritual text was not preser- preserved, there's lots of uh, interpolation, lots of human error has entered into their text, and this is of course not the case with the law. So it came to the point here to make things, uh, as tell said, this is a summary of the 17th period, so make things uh, rather quick. It came to the point, basically, in Europe, that what the people were noticing as reality, now I'm talking about physical things that they were seeing in front of them, were being denied by the church. The church is saying one thing is true, whether we're talking about the earth being flat or whatever, and the scientists and the people are seeing that in front of them, that's not true. So what happened is that for example, one of the, one of the philosophers, he tried to save religion by saying you cannot make a comparison between religious matters and what happens in this world. In other words, he saw that the things that they're saying in this world are not consistent with what the church teaches. teaches. So he said the church is in, our, the religion is in a different realm and the world is in a different realm. Of course, basically, he, he had a belief in God and he thought he's defending religion, but of course, actually he's killing religion. We're saying religion has nothing to do with life it's somewhere off in some other maybe some personal part of your life. But scientists or people who who saw his contradictions, they had some very difficult choices. Either believe wholly in what the church says, or believe completely in what they're seeing and knowing is true and rejecting what the church says, or try to modify the church for it to be consistent. With what they're seeing as true. The third choice is what led to the development of the modernist school in Christianity and Judaism. Their basic point, their basic argument is that truths, even religious truths, are basically relative. What may be true at one time or what may be considered true by a religious group is not necessarily going to be true at another time. And so therefore their argument is that scientific changes and cultural changes require us to reevaluate the, the, the teachings of a religion in the light of modern science and so on. That is the basic premise behind all modernist schools, whether we're talking about Jewish Christians or Muslims. The scientific change, scientific process, uh, progress, cultural changes requires us now to reevaluate the fundamental, even the fundamental teachings of the religion in the life of now modern science and so on. Now, the only difference between actually this and the Mu'atadilah is that the Mu'atadilah basically were rational. They were different things. Drink some strong coffee and come up with some theories, and then design the Quran, of course. Now, these people, maybe you can say that they're a little bit better. They apply the scientific theory. Not, they're not just rationalists, but they also experiment. And it was that physical proof of what they're saying in something that led people really to be completely full by it. Or, not, I shouldn't say completely full by it, because with respect to the church, with respect to Christianity and Judaism, there may be a need. And there may be a reason for modernism, because, as I said, their their texts were not preserved, there's a lot of human error. So it is quite possible for the Bible to say something which is wrong, and we can prove that it's wrong. So for them, there was such a need. For Jews and Christians, there was such a need. But in fact, with respect to Islam, as I said, because of the nature of the Quran, and the perfection of the Quran, There was no need for that among the Muslims. But unfortunately what happened, as we all know the recent history of the Muslim world the past three or four hundred years, the Muslim world somewhat, especially from a, a materialistic point of view, the Muslim world stagnated, fell behind the West scientifically, materially, economically, and so on. And this allowed, as we know, the the European powers to conquer, control, and rule the Muslim world. Now the same dilemma developed among the Muslims themselves. They saw European society, and they looked at European society, and they said, European society is advanced that has something that we don't have. And unfortunately, many of them, they they related that thing. Why was European society advanced? Here's European society advanced, and advanced because of its belief structure. And part of that belief structure was the fact that they didn't stick to an old religion, but they were willing to change the religion with time. And this idea begins to spread among the Muslims. Yes, the Quran is true, but it doesn't mean that it's fixed for all time. We have to reinterpret it in the light of modern teachings. In the light of modern questions. In fact, one modern, of the modernists of the Indopath kindness he said it very clearly when he said that basically the Muslims have three choices either they have to abandon Islam completely and change their ways and go the ways of the West or stick to Islam and remain always behind the people of the West or modify Islam in order to meet the needs of modern times and he said there's three choices, actually there's only two either you have Islam or you don't have Islam as much as he is modifying Islam. But so he was a modernist. He was a modernist. He was a proponent of changing Islam, of adapting Islam for modern times. <clears throat> time. And the European powers also they saw the need and the use for this modernist movement to spread among the Muslim world because they could not really dominate and control and really rule over the Muslim land. And they realized in fact clearly they could not rule and control until they took the people out of Islam. When I mean take the people out of Islam, like I mentioned in the, in the talk about uh, challenges to Muslim women, doesn't mean that they're going to change their name and all become Christians. Let them remain Muslims, let them do whatever they want, pray and fast, but change their way of life from that of a Muslim to that of a Western atheist or whatever the case might be and they concentrated in certain areas they concentrated for example in Turkey because Turkey was the seat of the Khalifa, Turkey was the political the political strength or the political center of the Muslim world they concentrated in Egypt and I talked a little bit about Khazm Amin and the women's liberation women in Egypt, in, Egypt, in Egypt they concentrated in Egypt because Egypt was the seat or the home to Al-Azhar which was the intellectual center of the Muslim world at that time. And they, con- and they uh, concentrated on the Indo-Pak subcontinent. Because the Indo-Pak subcontinent was a very strategic, rich land for them and a very important colony. And they were numerous times facing problems, uprising mutinies from the Muslims in the Indo-Pact sub And they realized that they could not live with that situation. They would have to change the people somehow, some some way, to allow them to accept the... uh right now. But this, that was definitely something. Folks are more important to me than to be like still. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh India. Was, more <laughs> India was a very important colony, a rich, a rich area for them, and they had these unions, they had these problems, They realized that they had to do something about the Muslims in that land. That they couldn't exist with that situation. And they begin to support and spread those people who had this modernist-type thinking. I'm just going to give one example. We could give examples from Turkey and from Egypt and so on. But let me just give uh, an example from India because we want to get to modern times and there's one today. One of the people that they supported the most was Sir Saeed Ahmed Khan. So, after the Muslim union in 1857, he concluded that the salvation of the Muslims depended completely and totally upon cooperating and befriending the British and adopting their culture. And in fact, he basically he said that the Muslims would not be civilized until they leave their culture and adopt English culture. He said that there can be no enmity or hatred between Christians and Muslims on religious grounds, because of all the religions in the world, because of all the religions in the world, Islam has the most respect for Christ and His men. One thing that he did is he opened up a university to train people, to train people in this way of thinking. In other words, to create new Muslims new intellectual Muslims who would be respected because they had a degree from a university. He opened up that university with the intention of creating basically a new generation, or at least a new leadership that would think in the ways that he thought. And of course, the only medium of instruction in that university was what? English. Only thought in English. See, now, he couldn't do the same thing that Kemal Ataturk did. <laughs> Kemal Ataturk. Change the script of the Turkish language from Arabic to Latin script. So the people, after a while, they could no longer even read the Quran or read the old books related to deen in the Turkish language. Well, what he did was, if you wanted to go to that university, of course, you would have to become an expert in the, in the English uh, language. Uh, basically, his idea we can say that to become modern, to become civilized, you have to become uh, English. If you were alive today, I doubt we'd say that. At <laughs> this time, England was supposed to be the leading country of the world, and that's what he did. Some of the rulings, some of the powers some of the rulings that he, he gave that shows his modernist-type thinking is, for example, polygamy. Is contrary to the spirit of Islam and should not be permitted except in rare cases. Modern banks, business transactions, zones, and international trading, although all involving payments of interest do not properly fall under the definition of riba, and thus they are not contrary to the law of the Quran. The punishments laid down in the Quran, Sunnah, for the application of the hands, of death, stoning, for gold, three hundred lashes for fornication are barbarous and suitable only for a primitive society which likes prisons. Now, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but recently there was an article in the uh, San Jose Mercury News about a year ago in which there was a conference between uh, Christians, Jews, and Muslims and the article said all oh, Christians, Jews, and Muslims are very happy because Muslims are going to open a new center. This center is going to be headed apparently by someone name named Satya Osman. And he said basically the same thing. He said, we do not believe in that Khomeini Islam, he says, cutting the hand of the thief and amputation and so forth, he says, all of this is unethical. And almost exactly the same thing that Shosh al would said. And of course, and of course, jihad is banned except in the direct necessity of self-defense. And of course, with respect to Afid, if we want to discuss matters of belief, that's a whole different area. Any basically anything that you could see they would deny. There's no such thing as angels, no such thing as jinn the miracles are not true and so forth. Jumping ahead again one of his biggest students who wrote the Tafsir on the same basis with the same kind of nonsense that his Tafsir is Muhammad Ali. His Tafsir is full of that kind of stuff there's no such thing as miracles, he explains away all the stories in the Quran, there's no such thing as jinn and unfortunately, recently this Quran this, uh, translation and commentary by Muhammad was distributed throughout the United States by some organization, I don't know whom. Of course, Ahmed Khan went to the, uh, went to the extent that says that there's no such thing as heaven and hell, there's no such thing as day judgment, and so forth. And basically, what he did, which is pretty much what the goal or, or what all modernists are leading to, one, one one another is that he said that the Qur'an and Sunnah must be restricted to purely devotional matters. And he had to worship. Qur'an and Sunnah just compared with, just deals with how to pray and fast and so on. These uh, three cities, the Turkey and Egypt and the indo of And these, the early leaders to the how they had students, and these students had students, and they continued, and they began to have some influence in those areas. And each one of those areas they had some influence, because there's no question that there was definitely something wrong with the Muslims at this time. I mean, there were Muslim reformers, not modernists, there were Muslim reformers, that were saying the same thing. Jimenezine al-Fasmi, by the way. al was one of those reformers in Syria who said that there's definitely something wrong with the Muslim world. But the thing that is wrong with the Muslim world is not that there's something wrong with Islam and these people are saying that we have to adopt Islam. The thing that is wrong is that we as Muslims are not applying Islam for it. So well, these reformers, they knew there's something wrong and they knew what the solution was. And alhamdulillah, they also had
1: their influence. And it wasn't just, just the modernists,
0: and the modernists have their own influence and no one else had any influence. Alhamdulillah, both of had their influence. Them their influence. The, the good reformers also had their, their influence. And in fact, now, till now, in the Muslim world, there's still, if we want to go to the, uh, to the Arabic, Part for the, I'm just, the Muslim part of the world, or even here where we're a minority, there's still these factions of modernists throughout the Muslim world. But in particular, in the United States, they are perhaps more dangerous. They are more dangerous for a number of reasons, but probably the most important reason, what makes them so dangerous here, is that we do not have those scholars who have the ability to refute we do not have 1,400 years of literature by scholars that talk about some of their points and review them even before they even existed. And we don't have that access to all that Arabic literature. In English, we don't have much. So they are dangerous here, and in some, to some extent, they are even being more successful here in this country than they are in other parts of the world. there's organizations, there's magazines being produced as I moved to yesterday that is promoting this kind of modern version of Islam in many conferences even if the conference is sponsored by a group that perhaps isn't you cannot say it's a completely modernist group some of the speakers they invite will be modernist, because what else? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, again, as they said, their argument, and and again, I want to stress that this argument could be true for Christianity and Judaism, whose teachings, whose texts are not really the complete revelations from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and in fact, whose teachings were meant for a particular time and people. But their argument could never be true for Islam, for the Quran, for the Sunnah that was revealed and perfected and preserved and meant to be our guide until the day of judgment. Their argument again is that we have to re-evaluate religious truths, religious practices in the light of modern science. But one thing, besides the fact that Quran Sunnah has been preserved, we also have to remember that the qudra, or the nature of man, hasn't changed. The same moral truths, the same practices that will lead to good during the time Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi are the same ones that will lead to good today. The Brivah is something harmful for the economy and for the individual and for society as a whole during the time of Prophet. The nature of Greeva hasn't changed. The nature of people haven't changed. It's still harmful today as it was harmful in that time. Now if we go and hear what many people say, we can see that they are, even if they don't call themselves modernists, and this is one of the dangers of many of the modernists, they don't come out and say, I'm a modernist. With letters, and they don't say it like that but you can hear it, you can see it in their speech you can hear it in what they say, for example just to give some examples, one speaker said in a lecture, and this was a lecture that he gave to Christians, I mean to Muslims and non-Muslims well, I think the, the, the lecture topic was the status of women woman in Islam, Christian or something He talked about the hadith of Abu Bakra. Abu Bakra narrated that the Muhammad ﷺ said that whenever or that a people will never prosper as long as their leadership is in the hands of a woman and it's been agreed upon throughout the years that it's not proper for a woman or it's not allowed for a woman to be the head of state and this is these examples I'm going to give. Basically, they are giving you the, the way the modernists think, the way the modernists keep the Quran and Sunnah, been brought for our guidance until the day of Jesus. This person in his speech said, first of all, the narrator of this hadith, Abu Bakr. I don't know how many of you know Abu Bakr, one of the companions of the Prophet And this is, by the way, one of their characteristics in the methodology. They lie. Or they distort truth. One or the other. I mean, you cannot say it any other way. He said, according to the surahs of Hadith, Abu Bakr is not an acceptable narrative. I have about 15 books of Ismail Rajal, of uh, what, uh, what the Hadith say about different narratives. I know he's a Sahabi, i, I companion Prophet of Sahelam, Abu Bakr is Sahabi, and I know what the person was saying wasn't true. But, I went to all 15 of those books to find, to see if anyone of the muhaddis of the scholars of the hadith says that Abu Bakr is not acceptable to None. So then he goes on and he says, although this hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari, which is usually a reliable source of hadith, but we in the today, He says, we can see that this hadith is not true. The Prophet did not say it. What's this proof? He said it's not true because if we look at the world today, and we look at people like Golda Meir and Jared Gandhi, Margaret Thatcher, we see that people can prosper if there's a woman or another. So that means that this hadith could not be true. The Prophet could have said it if it contradicts the country of Regardless of what we say, for example, in England under Margaret Thatcher, whether they had that. The concept of taf, the, the concept of balah or prosperity and the Islamic sense is not an increase in G and or a decrease in unemployment, but the concept of Bala is an all encompassing concept which includes both this junior and the US. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that a people will not have falaf if their if leadership is in the hands of a woman. If alcoholism is going up, suicide is going up, rape is going up, homosexuality is going up, whatever, can you say that these countries are having falaf? And but this is their way, this is their way, their approach to the Quran and Sunnah, they look from their very limited mind, and judge the Qur'an and judge the Sunnah and judge the hadith of the Prophet and the lack of their limited knowledge as if they're god and to be frank it is as if they're god they know everything oh no, these people have falak so this hadith wouldn't be used still I would say that that person or that statement was a little bit better than another statement, a leader of a Muslim movement or Muslim group in the Muslim world We said about the hadith of the Prophet. There's The the hadith of the Prophet. Actually, it's been been proven scientifically. The think in this hadith was proven scientifically, that's beside the point. Who cares whether it's proven scientifically or not? We know the Prophet said it, we know that it's true. About the hadith of the Prophet, in which you a fly enters your drink, you should put it in completely because the one side of the fly has the poison uh, on the other side has the. not the anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> the cure. The antidote, I guess. <laughs> oh, antidote? He said about this hadith, he said, I prefer to believe a Catholic doctor than the Prophet Muhammad. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes. And this person is, is as I said, he's considered a leader of a Muslim movement. Going back going back to the first person, another lecture that he gave in a in a conference in Stanford University and unfortunately it was a Titana summer conference. He made the following thing. Again, shows you shows you how the modernists or those that are influenced by the modernists can look to the Quran and look to the Sunnah of the Quran. He said in this lecture he gave a long lecture. Actually. I- well, I may make this comment. Uh, the one who organized the lecture was very clear about what I was supposed to speak about and what he was supposed to speak about. Well, he spoke about what both me and him were supposed to speak about. And that's and that's, that's I think they want to <laughs> <laughs> no, Pardon me? I'm See, I'm, I'm debating the, 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 the early lecture series that I gave. I named all names and gave all references. Yeah. And some people were really upset about it. So I think it's sufficient just to see the sign, and when you come across them, you know, inshaAllah know. We learn from our experiences, don't we? <laughs> so this man in a long lecture about the Sunnah he said at toward the end of the lecture, he said, the Prophet Muhammad used to make ishtihad. Okay? That statement's okay. Some scholars say some of the Sunnah was jihad, some scholars say none of the Sunnah was jihad, but that's okay so far. He's saying within the realm of what the scholars of the Sunnah was jihad. He said the Prophet sometimes made a jihad <coughs> and sometimes he was incorrect. Okay, so that's okay. So far it's okay, no problem with that. Scholars of the Sunnah was they said sometimes the Prophet said he made a jihad, and Allah corrected him if he was wrong. Right? But here's the point. He says that the Prophet him sometimes made mistakes in his iqtihah and Allah did not correct. So what's his next statement? So we have to go to the sunnah and we have to determine where he was corrected in his and where he was incorrect. This person is a well-known speaker. He's speaking at Isma Summer Conference. That shows you how widespread this influence, not just their institution, not just their magazines, but they're influencing even other speakers. Well, I, we went over that. <laughs> if you want to buy the tapes, God actually well, will be very happy if you buy the tapes and get all the names, and names. But again, this, this gives us an idea of how people are approaching the whole system. And we have to judge it in the light of our lives. In fact, one person said, That it's okay now for women who are menstruating to pray and attend them off. Why? Well, during the time of the Prophet, they didn't have tampons. Now we have tampons. There's no fear that blood will will fall on the ground, so there's no harm. (laughs) And in some of these, you don't know whether to cry or to laugh. Well, it's the same with the person who said that now, that, excuse me, said that, for example, that American women are different. And so therefore it's uh, okay for an American Muslim woman to marry a cat man. Same kind of thing. Same kind of approach. Uh, I don't think we need uh, any more examples to it. Anyway, let me move on to what what is their danger, What are some of the evil effects of this group. First of all we have to realize that this group, these people, they have their own nidhites, they have their own schools, they have their own networks, they have their own methodology. It's different from the methodology of I Sunnah with without any doubt about it. And what does that mean? That means this group is another group from Ayazidah. Another group of heretics and innovators. Therefore, all the things that I said about the dangers of Ayazidah apply to them. So not need to repeat them, that all of those things apply to them. What is particularly, particularly dangerous about them in this country is that many times they use <coughs> tricky arguments. They, verse, they recite verses in the Quran or they recite hadiths of the Prophet and many times they're reciting them to people who, for example, are not familiar with every Arabic language, not familiar with the hadith of Prophet ﷺ. sometimes they'll quote weak hadiths, false hadiths, whatever supports the argument. And this is very dangerous because many Americans, some, many new Muslims, they're not going to be able to answer. They're going to be maybe even convinced by what they're saying. We would hope that some of the arguments, like the argument about there were temples back then, most rational people won't accept that. But what about the idea that the Prophet said made these jihad? And he was wrong. And Allah did him. And he could give you a temple of where Allah, where he made these jihad and Allah directed him and then he will leave it almost as a given if there was somebody other had that wasn't great so now we have to reevaluate the Sunnah to see where he was correct and where he wasn't correct and one of the greatest dangers of this group until I will end on this point because I know that something else is coming up probably one of the greatest dangers of this group is that people do not recognize these people as the they do not recognize the danger that they bring bringing along, and I'll just give you one example. Okay, now I'm going to someone just to to show you what I'm talking about. When I gave these lectures in our Boston Boulder the, the the seven lecture series, and I quoted people and I named them, people were upset with me for bringing up these statements and quoting these people. They're upset with me for quotes. they should be upset with them for saying them. Set that up accept with me, giving me a lecture about it. Oh, you want to divide Brothers, these are good brothers, we know these brothers. They have been working for Islam so long. They make da'wah. Okay, fine. If they did some good things, we accept their good things. But we also have to be careful that if they're spreading some evil, that we cannot accept that evil. This is a mutter. If you give a statement like that, if you give an opinion like that, if you do an action like this, this is a munkah like any other mutter. And it is obligatory upon us to change it. Even if it comes from your father, your brother, your sister, your wife, it doesn't matter where the Mujahid comes from. Even if someone is the greatest Mujahid, if he just spent the last 20 years fighting the Kuban and he comes in here they said, Oh, I spent 20 years fighting the Kuban, let me have a drink of wine, to so take no break. no one will accept it. But instead, if he makes statements like this, which is just as much this, and sometimes, poorer, more cooker than taking alcohol, people will divinity. But one of the greatest changes is people are not realizing who these people are and what they're actually saying. Those two examples I gave of the hadith of the woman lawyer and the other thing about the ijtihad of the Prophet and they came from Jamal Faroui. Jamal Faroui is the one who made those things. How many of these tapes and everything are being distributed and people are praising him? As a great scholar, suppose you just embrace the son, you watch this kid, you watch his film, and you, just, and you embrace the son, because of his da'wah and what he's spreading, and then you go and listen to him and say, ah, this is the Shek Shemaz, by and then he says something like this. We have to realize these things. We have to warn people about it. Yes, yes, Shemaz, by way, maybe he's good in some things. If you want to make a dialogue, if you believe in dialogue with Christians or debates, yes, he's good in that thing. But be careful about him, don't let him speak about this in this issue because he has ideas which are wrong. We have to recognize these people and we have to point out what they're saying. And we cannot defend them just because of the good that they did. Allah (laughs) subhanahu wa ta'ala will reward them for the good that they did, inshallah. And we accept their good deeds, but at the same time, if they do something wrong, we have to advise them and we have to stop them if we have the ability to do so. One fact, as I mentioned in the statement from his name is A-A-A. I don't know what the A-A stands for. He's the one who says that Muslims have three choices either stick to the old Islam, stick to Islam, or leave Islam completely for the way of the Quran, or modify Islam. In fact, what he said there is really showing us what the modernists are all about. They are actually taking people out of Islam. If you're a Muslim but your way of thinking is completely modern, modernist, you accept some of the Quran, you reject some of the Quran, you accept some of the Sunnah, you reject some of the Sunnah. This is Kuba. Cool. You can't accept of the Quran, you the Quran, accept some of the Sunnah, except the Sunnah. They are literally taking people out of Islam the in their beliefs and in their actions. And this is the greatest danger of this group. Maybe some of the steps, maybe some of the things that they do as not movement, but if people continue in this way with that way of thinking, actually they are taking them out. What's so very important for us, again, I must stress that it's very important for us to realize what this movement is, how they're making their da'wah, what kind of arguments that they're making so that, inshallah, the Muslims of America our brothers and sisters will not be fooled by this movement that becomes too strong. Uh, inshallah, they will take this picture and they will see Allah and Allah. Then... <laughs> and through evidence that uh, Aisha was actually 17 or 18 when she got married. So Ukraine are actually true. Our first chromosome was over all the other but so this is something that his brother's Did making you up. Believe me? <laughs> no, I'm confirming. I'm confirming that I've also heard some of these things from all ears. No, it's no coincidence. Okay, so I'm co-signing so this. I've actually heard some of these things from all ears that our brother has made. So it's not a matter of belief or gravity, they're facts, and uh, he has been addressed on some of these issues. So it's not a matter of. So kind of so uh, We have a number of questions uh, here. Some of them are very specific. Uh, the first question is concerning Wafi Muhammad. Uh, uh, would you say that he is a modernist, being that he holds many of the tendencies of modernists modernist, such as denial of the existence of jinn such as his apparent uh, obligation of the necessity of Ejab for women and his statement uh, saying that Jews and Christians and uh, Manians and other groups of Catholics are actually believers and that they were go to jinnies. Do you have any comment on this would you like to 好的, yes, Uh, a brother, Idris uh, Palmer, from Washington, D.T. is going to answer this question and uh, he's uh, more familiar with this particular quote than anyone else on the service right now? So he's not answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, in I think that Dr. Jamal pretty much laid the groundwork for the uh, characteristics of the majority of people of this modernist type of uh, ideology which seems to be pervading particularly here in the United States and I dare say through many of the countries in the Western world. As far as the specific question of uh, Mr. I think that it's uh, it's fairly evident that he subscribed to a number of his principles uh, which Reverend Javad uh, had mentioned, and many others which uh, many people have uh, either overlooked or possibly forgotten, or have even gone to the extent of making excuses for, him, uh, such as him uh, stating that he was the manifestation of God. Him stating for example that uh, his, uh, he was born of the virgin birth of stating for example that uh, uh, or rather justifying that Muslim women who marry Kappa men are uh, a total negation of uh, the necessity of the jab for women as well as a number of other factors uh, particularly for example uh, making Sphere of television shows and movies, and uh, using of course a multiplicity of sources from mythology, astrology, morality, and, and so forth, uh, in order to justify these particular uh, ideas. So <laughs> basically, this is uh, <coughs> a very very brief summary of uh, this one. To you give you a very classic example, it you was know, some years ago, I believe it was in uh, 1977, where he gave a speech right here in Chicago in which he stated that this of society is such that a person should have any kind of sympathy towards homosexuals, uh, that uh, even though you may not necessarily be a homosexual, Uh, or necessarily come out and speak, let's say, uh, against it, the mere fact that you are sympathetic towards it makes you a homosexual. Um, Just last year, on national public radio, he was uh, on a nationally broadcasted interview in which the uh, host of the show asked him, what is your position regarding homosexuality? And he stated, and we have a recording in which he that his position would be that of any sober-minded Christian. So, they asked him, can you give us a more direct answer? He said, what is your position regarding would you accept and admit homosexuals into your community? He said, as a man, W.D. Muhammad, yes. He said, as the leader of the religion, no. So, according to his own criterion, which he stated in 1977, he said that uh, if you are even sympathetic towards Christianity, it makes you all the same. So, <laughs> doesn't that mean that he doesn't follow his own religion from his own statement? Is he set up? Or he it? not he doesn't change it. <laughs> <laughs> The second the question is uh please talk about music. Today we have uh many new instruments that did not exist during the time of the Prophet Muhammad and that I have heard some speakers quote different ideas to establish uh, their position that music is actually allowed or many forms of music actually allowed a different part of the culture. And being that in these opinions of these particular scholars or speakers, whichever the case may be, that being that music is a part of culture, and the prophet of Islam is not forbid culture, does not that in turn make music a younger one? One of your brothers, please respond to that question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> First of all, let me say this. Room. Latin English language, now we have a book. In every language, there's quite a few good books that do in the, the topics, So now we have uh, a book by Brother uh, uh, about the uh, permissibility of, of music and scene, and I think if anyone really wants to know about the topic in detail, we topic we're gonna have to see If anyone really wants to know about this book in detail, it's not a a very large book but it deals from the level of the topic in in quite a bit of detail. Uh, With respect to the, uh, the question, most of the hadith actually that talk about music, most of the hadith are actually weak, fabricated, and unacceptable. But there are still some hadith that point out to the prohibition of music and the fact that there will be a time when people try to make musical instruments legal. And I think that almost answers the question directly. Don't directly to the to this thing that it's a matter of culture, and now culture is changing, and now we have music. Just because of the change in culture, or moving from one culture to this. so now that this hadith makes it very clear that music is forbidden for all time under any culture. Because he's saying that, that there will be a time in which People will try to make uh, music halal. First of all, we have. uh, Secondly, we have statements of sahaba about the meaning of that al hadith in the Quran that it refers to music, and these are uh, statements of sahaba. And there's more than one statement of sahaba on that point. That means uh, the statement of sahaba none of the sahaba disagree with what he said. It is in essence uh either consider a khajah or considered very close to being a khajah and But well, so the prohibition in the Quran of the <laughs> hadith as the uh, Sahabi and it as applying to music. Is evidence that music is not uh, not permissible. Well as I said that book if you really want a detailed uh, discussion I highly recommend that you that you read that book. Uh so the next question is kind of interrelated. Uh and in fact, this is interesting because there are some musical groups out now who are claiming to be uh, and some of these groups have uh, records where they have Quran playing in the back. someone seen the Quran and music playing to the Quran. And the question is, is this a Kufa? Is this action of Kufa or is it uh, Haram or what is the Islamic uh, ruling on this particular uh, uh, religion? <laughs> 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 well, we all know where Brother Kamala is coming from. <laughs> uh, whether or not this is haram, this is very clear. I hope there's no question in anybody's mind of such a thing with respect to the Quran. The so music in general is haram, obviously, putting the Quran to music or using the Quran as background for music and, and, and stuff like that. Is obviously hard. Mm. Now, someone comes to the text uh, on any issue and it is clear to him, and it is clear to them uh, that something is forbidden from this text, it is made clear to them and they accept that those texts are clear. But regardless of those texts, they still say that the matter is haram. <coughs> this is a type of cook. See, now, in a matter like this, where there's a difference in Ishqihara and so forth, we would not make necessarily takfir or saying that someone necessarily is a capital. but more importantly is how Allah Taala will deal with them on the day journey. If they know clearly that these texts are clear, but they still say no it's halal and they make halal what Allah has make haram or vice versa, this is the kind of book Allah Taala will treat them knowing what they know and knowing their intention and what they do. The next question, inshallah, is that certain uh, self proclaimed modernist scholars have the opinion that it is permissible for a Muslim woman to give to apply, uh through participation in panel discussions and study groups at universities or what have you, in which men and women will be quickly mixing together, or when the Muslim sisters will be in a panel discussion with men who men. Uh, giving us dollars. is uh, what is your uh, position concerning this action, and what is the Islamic uh, ruling concerning this? Well, they've send the statement voice for tonight, you had a really long message to do before, and you have to talk about the Chinese uh, This is very clear for many, it's kind of funny when some people talk about uh, we see men and women, they say there's no hadith, for example, that says uh, that women and men cannot make. And so therefore they, they say that you have a proof. It's kind of funny because if you look actually at the evidence on this point, it's not a hadith, it is a whole set of things that are showing us clearly that from Islam, is it considered is it, is it right or is it considered to be the, the correct thing to do, to have men and women separate from them? The Prophet them even just women and men walking together in the street. He saw them walking close together in the street Asking by. He said, no, this is not correct. You women must go against the side of the road and, and not mix with the men. And they used to walk so closely to the walls that their garments were rubbing against the wall. So you can imagine that the prophet said them just to of them just walking close to each other in the street what about sitting together, talking together, looking at each other in the face, and so on, in any kind of gathering? And the Salat also, the, the Prophet said, said that the worst position, the worst role for the woman is the front row, is close to the men, and the best is the one in the rear. And the Prophet said, said about one door in the mosque, of the mosque, said, this door should be left just for women. Well, even if it isn't entering the mosque, the Prophet said, doesn't want to have men and women entering the mosque through the same door. You can imagine what the Prophet would have said about people sitting together, uh, sitting closely together, being able to look at each other, being able to talk uh, to each other, and so on. So, that I, so the, the principle or the point about mixing between men and women in general is not allowed. When the general principle concerning Da'u, the general principle concerning Da'u is that what is not allowed in general is not allowed for the sake of doubt. That is the general principle. That is what, what is not allowed in general is not allowed for the sake of doubt. That is the general principle. That might become a sense. But that is the general uh, principle. And if you think about it, it makes sense. How is a woman, for example, going to be making doubt and so telling people we don't believe in men and women sitting together and she's sitting with them telling them we don't believe in men and women sitting together either this woman doesn't really believe in her religion or in her religion it doesn't really matter whether you practice what you preach or not whatever this is on a Sunday happening way around I think what about the other paragraph man or the woman for man uh, with a yeah, special woman yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> also, the, also the principle is the same in general you know, what is forbidden in general is forbidden uh, when making vows. but if there's no other if there's no other means, for example, for, it's much easier for a man to be covering his aura, uh to be talking to women, to be talking to groups, groups of non not private, than it is for men, for women. Now, from general, it is much more allowed for, for men to be going out than it is for women. So the only way that Dawah can reach uh, some women, like I said, you this just standing right here. We are actually talking to the women as, as well as to the men. Uh, if that, if that needs to be done, it is okay, it is permissible. But what is even better is to have women meet with women, the Muslim sisters, and men meet with men. This is the best, if it can be arranged. But in our society, in our situation, it is not always possible. for course, calling the mosque. they try sometimes, they have public dinners, and they invite people to come to the public dinners, and they try, when they come, to tell the men to go to where the dinners, and to go, the women to go to where the women are sometimes when people get very upset with that. <laughs> but, you know, the principle is that we do what is correct to the best of our ability. under any circumstances. There are a couple of questions uh, related to music and to some of the issues concerning Jamal Dudley and Waqi Mohammed. Uh, for the record, uh, we're running out of time so we're having to get into those particular questions. Uh, Brother Taufik from Philadelphia uh I believe I have some books available uh for sale. Uh I don't know if he has some with him on the matter of music. Okay, so if anybody uh, wants to get some of these books on music, I believe brothers and brothers in Philadelphia have them, they can check with one of me or brothers something about getting the books on music and the book follows into great detail about this issue. So if someone wants to follow up information they're welcome to the purchase it, both from the brothers as well as any other brothers that might have access to these group's fund users. Uh, also concerning the matter, of Jamal Bradley, the modernist movement, seven tapes, brothers Jamal being on this issue, there's Mecca, Mechel, in the soup here, has those seven tapes. You can buy them for about $1.50 fifty piece. You can get... I know. For 2 dollars like a piece. Dollar seventy five. Okay. <laughs> so, so you can get those things for dollar seventy five a piece, and he has a lot of documentation on uh, the issue. You're, you're welcome to get them and listen to them. Uh, there's another question here I want to squeeze in. Um, that I once asked someone from the American Speaker Association about polygamy, and he said that it was haram. For an American Muslim to do it, and that even if an American Muslim brother goes to another country to do so, to marry a second wife, it is allowed for him to do so because the American government does not recognize polygamy. Uh, do you feel that this person from the victim is a moderate, first of all, and are you aware of the Islamic position? In regards to the practice of religion in a uh, country such as America that formally denies uh, this uh, right. In general general, if a Muslim uh, for example, like those who come from uh, overseas the United States, and he makes a pledge to a non-Muslim government that he will abide by their laws if those laws do not go against the Sharia uh, then he can abide by those laws as so long as they do not go against the Sharia now, obviously in a case like this If you're talking about polygamy in the sense that he's going to record both marriages at City Hall, well, he shouldn't do that. Because this is polygamy and he'll be sent to prison. And so, therefore, the overriding harm of that thing will override the benefit. But that's not necessary for Islamic marriage to have the marriage done through the courts. The important thing is that you are married in the sight of all those kind of life. That is important. If you can't marry us historically, and correct the way you are married, regardless of what the courts here might consider you. So the courts here don't really care if a man has three, or four, or five, or six friends Or maybe at 50. That's what the <laughs> <laughs> so, therefore, the, the uh, marrying, therefore, basically, we're trying to can it from uh, for a Muslim to marry more than one here. There's ways that we can do it in such a way that the law here will, will not judge you. So, therefore, there's nothing wrong with it. Another question. Uh, could one of the speakers please comment on the practice of the uh, I think all of us have heard of Haram and probably know what it is. If somebody practice? speak on this—is it halal or haram, or either, what's the status of Haram? We got. I don't know. Oh, well, we don't have any kind of in we to In respect of the quantity itself, I can only really speak about just some of the Origins of it uh, due to the fact that uh, we had a brother who was still to be here uh, for this conference, but due to a uh, in fact that he had an operation, he wasn't able to make it. But he's actually done a by the of Zoma, who has uh, actually done a great deal of research into the celebrating uh so much so that uh, there were a number of black nationalists who after he came out with his research who were actually uh, looking to kill him uh, due to the fact that uh, he went into showing, for example, how many of the origins of Kwanzaa uh, were basically thought up by this uh, professor of the University of California, Ron Paringa, who in the late '60s was a very well-known and popular black nationalist and that he actually incorporated a number of of ideologies and philosophies in order to come up with Kwanzaa. Yet through regular, as you say, urban folklore, uh, it's been thought of that Kwanzaa in its uh, origin actually came from Africa and has been associated, as you say, with African-Americans and so forth. Uh, But uh, the terminology, as a matter of fact, has uh, pretty much synthesized uh, a number of the, or I should say, the general rulings. Regarding the celebration of the festivals of the non Muslims by the Muslims, in which some of the eminent scholars of Islam, such as Ibn al-Fayyim al-Jaziyah and Chekhov Islam, who have shown that to do such is in essence following in the ways of the unbelievers through which the Prophet has categorically forbidden the Muslims to participate in. So just in, its, in respect of the origin of this particular celebration, irrespective of the fact of whether it is uh, something which has uh, some sort of traditional origin or whether it was a concoction of a mind, the Prophet Salam has specifically stated that we have two celebrations. That is, Idul uh, fitr and Idul Atta. And Allah has Let's just see these two celebrations, the likes of which no other celebration, whether it be done by Jew, Christian, Buddhist, nationalist, or otherwise, can even hope to be compared to Another exactly. uh, There's a question here. Uh, okay. uh, what is rationalism? And does it have a place in Islam? From tomorrow, like to address that. What is rationalism, and does rationalism have a place in this life? Well, Rationalism has a philosophical school of thought, or a rational school of thought. So this is what the question is referring to. There's something else that's also called rationalism. Uh, as a philosoph- philosophical the school of thought, is basically the idea that the human mind, the intellect the happens, has the ability to judge everything. So therefore, whatever is acceptable to the happens, to the rational mind, must be true, and whatever is rejected by the rational mind, is false. Now, the problem with the rational school especially the, the old rationalist uh, schools, is that they had a tendency to ignore the material world. And they came up with many theories that uh, contradicted things that people noticed in the physical material world. So then they had to kind of develop into an empirical uh, rationalist school. Kind of a balance, uh, somehow kind of trying to balance two. The problem with both of them is that they don't realize the limit of the human mind. Allah ta'ala <laughs> gave us this human mind for specific reasons. One of it, for example, is to study the science of creation so we realize the oneness and existence of Allah ta'ala. But at the same time, we have to realize that this human mind is not all-powerful, all-knowing and that there are many things beyond the realm of of this knowledge. For example, if you've never been to some parts of the world, you've never seen the kind of housing or anything that they had, there'll be no way for you to know what they actually look like. That's with respect to something physical. What about with respect to Allah, with respect to the angel, with respect to the jinn, with respect to what will happen on the Day of Judgment, with respect to heaven and hell, All of these things, the specifics of them and even, to some extent, the general aspects of them, all of these things are beyond the realm of human nature, of the human mind. And the mind has to know its limits. We can understand them and know them if the one who knows about them, Allah reveals to us something about them. But otherwise, just from our human mind, to try to discover about them, we cannot. And so therefore, therefore one of the greatest shortcomings of the rationalist and even the empirical rationalist is also still one of the shortcomings is that they try to apply the mind to things that are beyond the ability of their knowledge and they begin to reject and accept things which are beyond uh, <coughs> to uh, there's another question this is the last question the third last question <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we've kind of backed up, and I've been, you've been asking me the first week on questions, and I'm trying to, you know, require the, the needs of the people and so on. Um, what is the, uh, the ruling on the staff on, uh, the, uh, of the U.N.A.D.? The purpose of individuals? and also the birthday of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi We know that this is kind of like a common practice that uh the Mike in Islam sometimes to have a birthday celebration for the Prophet Muhammad. And also people celebrating their own individual birthdays or birthdays of their children. Uh what is this doing? the doing other speech of the action? Can I <coughs> I think anyone uh, allah, who listened yesterday to the lecture, yesterday the before, the lecture about bid'ah and the concept of bid'ah, makes it clear the people are gathering together for the birthday of Prophet Muhammad and thinking that this is something good, that Allah is pleased with it, and somehow they're earning the reward of Allah. This is clearly bid'ah, clearly innovation. <coughs> it is something the Prophet says that he never did he never alluded to it, the Sahaba never did it and so therefore they are saying that this is an action that is pleasing to Allah which has no source in the Quran Sunnah, which as we discussed that is basically the essence of the death they are saying that this action is good, the Prophet maybe didn't think about it, Allah didn't tell him to do it, but we know it's good and we know it's pleasing to Allah and we're going to do it So that's basically the essence of the death not even to discuss the history of it that the, uh, during the Balkhagite uh, Empire in, in Egypt that the Muslims saw the, uh, the Christians celebrating the birthday of Jesus and decided that they should also celebrate the birthday of the Prophet Muhammad Now with respect to other birthday celebrations, it is something that is not from the Muslim custom, and when we do it, we are basically imitating the ways of the Kufar and resembling the ways of the Qur'an, and as the Prophet said, it is meant to separate a of all Muslims if whoever imitates or resembles the people, please. Example of the car. So I'm going to conclude this session uh, on this note. Uh, <laughs> وعلى اله وصحبه اولا انا سعيد جدا بلقائكم لعمنا ولله الحمد يجمعنا وصف واحد وهو قوله تعالى انما المؤمنون اخوه انا إخوة اخوه انهم متحابون لله متعاونون على البدع والتقوى و أحب أن أعرفكم بنفسي أنا أحبكم بالله قال من السلام لكل على جامعه الإمام والدكتوراه كذلك من جامعه الإمام ما تستمع جامعة الإمام ودفتراء ولو من ان القضاء وإيضا عدد من المعرفات يجيب على إثناء عشر المعرفة منها ما يتصل بمعاملات والحياة الزودية وبالعبادة وغير ذلك. السلام عليكم we have with us, Shes Nirvana, Shazam, he is a doctor in the Sharia, and he is also a judge but he graduated from a school of judges. And he is very happy uh, to be with us today, that evening, if we all brothers in Islam, and in fact, we all all is an associate professor of this, and he has offered over twelve books, many topics such as family life, marriage, and so forth, as well as of worship, and uh topics like that. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, okay, I be right up so I'm going to read these questions for apparently uh, another lecture um, and it's in regards to Op-Ada, United, low and Axe The first question is Is it permissible under any circumstance to bow and make text-up to other than a for example I come to a project and use of and to the the of the ان الركوع والسجود نوع من انواع العباده والحديث التشرد التحيات لله والصلوات الطيبات ومعنى التحيات يعني في جميع التعظيمات لله سبحانه وتعالى والركوع كان جائزا والسجود كان جائزا لمن كان قبلنا فالملائكة سجدوا لآدم ولكن لآدم هو سجود لله لأن الله هو الذي أمره وإخوة يوسف وأبو يوسف وأم سجدوا له قال اني رأيت الشمس والقمر رأيتم لي ساجدين فلما بلغ يوسف وا قصة كاملة حتى وصل إلى الحكم وبعد أربعين عاما استجعى والديه بمقر الحكم الذي هو في مصر قال الله جل وعلا لما دخلوا عليه ولما دخلوا على يوسف فآوى إليه أبويه فقالت في المصر إن شاء الله آمنين ورفع أبويه على العرش وخبوله سجدها هذا كله كان في شوائنا قبل أما شريعتنا الشريعة الإسلام فإنها أشمل الشرائع وخاصة في نظر العقائد خاصة في نظر العقائد فإنها كاملة كاملة ولهذا فإن الشريعة الإسلامية حمت التوحيد وحمت حماة التوحيد فحرمن الله الرفعة والسيلة لغير الله ومن ذلك الانحناء وضعفات الراس كله هذا لا يجوز الا لله سبحانه وتعالى وكل انحناء يقتضي التعظيم سواء وصل الى حد الركوع او الى نصف المسافه فانه ممنوع شرعا اذا قصد به التعظيم لكن لو كان من باب اللعب او من باب التدريب فان هذا لا يقتضي هذا المقام اذا كان that is not in the other case. I'm don't I I not is a very clear and beautiful answer. Not it out. The report, which is family and the group is prostrating they only allow to do for a long walk, and no one else the proof of this is the of the what he told us to do at the checkers okay, what we've and we sit down uh, and say a tehi-yaz to do that and she with to back. The, of the word tehi an Arabic word means all types of worship that if He says that all types of forces and act of honor only go to the law of law. So bowing the head, whether it's in a court with the back of trade, or just basically bowing the head slightly, in the mouth, only because the law of the Therefore, it's forbidden. And this really not the kind of law of do this whatsoever. This action of bowing the head and prostrating with the to law of the the reason the Quran that will also send out order the angels had bowed to Adam, the prostrate to Adam and that's all well known in sin their bowing to Adam was not to Adam himself but rather the law ordered them and by obeying Allah's law of they are bowing to the law kind without us but they bowed to Adam they were not worshiping Adam though additionally we see that use in two instances that first one of stars and the sun bowed to him and likewise when Jesus became in charge of the very high position of his time, his parents came in and they bowed to him. They prostrated to him. And this was acceptable to the religion before Islam. But because Islam, the religion of Muhammad, yeah. Muhammad, is the most complete religion, specifically a matters of belief, and a matters of worship which belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is not allowed. So the Sharia protects the Akriya. The laws of the religion protect the belief of the religion. So therefore bowing any way, even moving the hands as likely in karate or, or outside of karate or come towards you the to or in any way to show honor and respect is forbidden in the religion. So if a person wants to honor or magnify or make this or make this person tremendous in his sight it, it is prohibited for him to bow and there are other actions which are also prohibited in this matter because all these acts of worship which we want to know people to but it is allowed, as like she has said that during play or during uh, learning certain types of actions whatever they might be a person bowed to take not out of respect but for instance if they are playing among themselves like, and, and they, they happen to be bowing their body moving their body down if they're something like that. For uh, the emotions, okay. But not out of respect. And not in the way as the question came, but in the way the prior comes. As long as it's appropriate The next question. The next question is Can you find the connection between the man, am <coughs> and the father okay. uh, that's not. That's not. الإيمان والعلم والعمل الصالح هذه نسميها كل واحد منها مكمن مستقل له علاقة بالآخر والفضل وليس له علاقه من وجه اخر من جهه له علاقه من جهه اخرى ليس له علاقه فاما الايمان فهو الاعتقاد الذي من بالقلب الإيمان بوجود الله وملائكته وكتبه ورسله واليوم الاخر والايمان بالقضاء والقدر والايمان بما جاء به جاءت به الى اخره ويترجم هذا الإيمان في القلب يترجمه النساء بالنبق في الشهادة وتترجمه الأعضاء بالفعل لأداء واجبات التي تؤدى الصلاة والزكاة وغير ذلك هذا هو الإيمان أما الإيمان فإنه إنما طلبوا على يعني العلم ضد الجهل والعلم بالشيء العالم بالشيء يختلف عن الذين يعلم لا يعلمون لا يعلمون والعلم الحقيقي هو معرفة الله ومعرفة نبي ومعرفة الدين الاسلام بالعدل هذا والعلم اللي يحمل متعظنيا به يعني كل مسلم وكل مسلمة لا وده يعرف هذا العلم معرفة الله ومعرفة نبي ومعرفة الدين الاسلام بالعدل وأن العمل الصالح هو الناتج عن العلم الذي أتاره الإيمان فإن الإسلام لما آمن وعلم عامل فيعمل العمل الصالح بعد أن يعلم فإذا الصلاح مثلاً والمدن تصلي الصلي لأنك لما عمل صلي لكن أه... كيف تقلي الصلاة عمل صالح الصلاة عمل صالح والذكاة عمل صالح وبالذكاء عمل صالح كيف جعلك بعدها